welcome to episode 114 of the Various and Sundry podcast. I am your host, Matt Harmon, joined live from the Vault Studio on the beautiful campus of Grace College and Theological Seminary by my good friend, my colleague, my co-host, and the man who is ready to defend his tournament bracket championship, Mm -hmm. John Scott Sloat. Yeah, we got that up and running. Yes. So I think people can go and join yeah, uh, I think our last episode we put that up, and it should be available for you to go sign up. I haven't looked. Um, who, yeah, who, I mean, at, at this point, it, if you participated last year, you should have gotten an email. That's right. That's right. Uh, alerting you to the fact that it is indeed um, open. And again, obviously, uh, this episode releases March 8th before the brackets will be announced. But – you can go ahead and lock your spot in and get uh, signed up, and that way once the brackets are released on Selection Sunday, you can just head on over and fill out your bracket. And click a few. Click through. Yeah. yeah I think we got uh, six people so far okay. on board. I haven't done mine. I haven't officially signed up yet. So Okay. Yes, you are not one of them. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, yeah. um, so we're doing something a little different today because um, you're leaving town. Yeah, I so leave, we're recording early. I leave on the fifth. Okay, so I, I'll, I'll when this drops on the eighth, I will be in Atlanta, Georgia. Okay, yes, leading a go encounter trip with Grace. Yeah, so Grace for for those out there in in podcast land, uh, we have a requirement that every student go on some sort of cross cultural experience while they're here. You and I have led a number of these trips, some together, yeah. some separately. Yep, and. Uh, and this one uh, that I am leading with uh, another colleague here, we're going to Atlanta, Georgia, and palling around the city for a week. And at this point, like I know you didn't plan. Like basically, a lot of it's been planned for you That's by right. folks on the ground there yep. in Atlanta. Do you have any sense of what you're going to be doing? Yeah. So we just got a schedule just in the last couple of days, but basically. Uh, the the regular rhythm will be some sort of training about a, another religion or people group mm-hmm. in the morning going to visit that religion or people group in the late morning, lunch, and mm-hmm. then uh, we do some sort of outreach or something like that. Very nice. Very nice. Yeah. So uh, I don't think I had realized until I got to know some people who live in Atlanta how ethnically diverse – Atlanta is, you know, I, I I tend to think of like cities like New York, Los Angeles, Chicago mm-hmm. as very Washington D.C., uh, Boston as very uh, ethnically diverse in terms of people coming from other countries and settling there intentionally. But Atlanta has a pretty significant population of a, of a variety of different ethnic groups. Yeah, I. The organization we're with, they are located. I think, I think, and I've heard this. I haven't verified this, but the most diverse, the most diverse mile in America. Hmm. Okay, um, which should be fascinating to, yeah. to to walk down the street. Yeah, and it should mean you get some good ethnic food. I would think. Yeah, I'm looking at uh, well, just as lunch at ethnic restaurants. Um, but I know that Ethiopian was on there. I think uh-huh. Vietnamese was on there. Uh, so we'll, okay. We'll get some. We'll get some interesting food. Well, we'll sure. have to get a, uh, a a summary report upon your return here. Yeah, there's very few foods I won't try. I mean, this is part of part of traveling with me. Is I'll try just about anything. Yeah, like I've done raw boar. 
Yes. 100-year-old eggs, stuff Did, like that. Didn't you drink like snake venom or something? Yeah, yeah, snake venom, <laughs> snake bile. Um, I think that's probably a bridge too far for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had some snake soup uh, one time out there in the world. Oh, yes. Yeah. Went to the uh, – there's a place in Taiwan called Snake Alley um, where they serve all these things. And they have these big cages at the front with the – and glass, but they have these giant – snakes mm-hmm. like probably 20 feet long just in a cage and you can go up and tap on the glass and they'll bring you out like all sorts of snake <laughs> juices <laughs> to try God. sounds so gross <laughs> supposed to be very good for the skin is oh, what the, is oh, what the oh local. well then of course yes and you know this doesn't just happen matt so. uh, obviously yeah that <laughs> there's, there's a lot of self-care going on over there across the table If you would like to connect with the show and share your thoughts about snake venom, you can find us on Twitter at VNSPod. Email the show, variousandsundrypodcast at gmail.com. We are on Facebook and on YouTube, Various and Sundry Podcast. You can search for that. And we would love for you to leave us a five-star rating. And you can more or less say whatever you want in the actual review, but just leave the five-star rating. Yep. That's what we're asking here. So, uh, as I said, we're recording a little bit early to get out in front of you being out of town. So, uh, in terms of sports, um, there's really not a lot, perhaps, that we'll uh, talk about in this episode. By the time this launches, uh, conference tournament week will be underway. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, that's always a fun week to, uh, to watch some basketball. Baseball has officially canceled games. Okay. Uh, so... You know, you put that in scare quotes a little bit yeah. because yeah. they could still easily come to a agreement here this week, and I think they'd find a way to get those six games back. Yeah, six games seems doable to figure okay. out a way to— You would add a week on to the end of the season or something like that. Yeah, or throw in some double headers or things like yeah. that where you, you figure it out, but I think that's probably the case. Um, you know, another thing, that now, now inevitably for me— the start of the conference tournaments for men's basketball, I, I think for a long time now, is going to be linked with COVID in oh, my yeah. mind. Because yeah. I, I remember two years ago, I had tickets to go to the Big Ten tournament and um, was just hoping that they'd keep one more day. Like As I saw the writing on the wall, it was like, okay, well, they just keep one more day. Nope. Shut it down. So we're coming up on that sort of two-year anniversary of, you know, when when the world changed. Yeah. Who was the NBA player? Uh, Gobert. Rudy uh, Gobert. Rudy Gobert (laughs) got COVID and uh, shut down the whole world. Yeah. And sort of – The world of sports. He shut it down. Yeah. In like a 90-minute time period, right? Yeah. Like they were – he was – I think he was on the floor warming up and they came on the floor, pulled him off, pulled the teams off. Mm Mm-hmm. Shut down that game. Shut down a whole bunch of games uh, throughout the throughout the NBA and college sports, college basketball. Yeah, and then games on the East Coast has started, but and, and they finished those games, right? But they knew that the season was over, sort of at that point. And so Vince Carter's last game yes. in the NBA was at Madison Square Garden with uh, with in you know just sort of playing out this game that was virtually meaningless, right? Yeah. Yeah, just such a weird, such a weird experience. Um, yes, uh, one uh, one other. Actually, before we do that, 
Why don't you give the specific details for the tournament, uh, for our bracket challenge for the podcast? If you, because some people might say, "Oh, I didn't participate last year. How do I find it?" Yeah, yeah. So uh, you can go to Yahoo, uh, and if you know, you'll need to make an account and all those things. You'll want to search for various and sundry podcast bracket. Mm-hmm. Um, and once you do that, uh, you can enter our group ID number if that's easier to search is five three seven eight. Our password is capital V, word and, capital S, pod, no spaces, all smushed together. Um, And you should be able to get in. It shouldn't be that hard. Even if you don't watch sports or participate in sports, you can make – you can flip a coin. Well, yeah. And that's that's really all we're asking you to do. And historically speaking, in my experience in these bracket challenges, oftentimes the people who know less about – basketball or college basketball mm-hmm. do pretty well. Yeah, It's just a weird fluke of, I think sometimes people who think they know a lot about college basketball overthink things. Oh, yeah. Whereas people who readily admit, I don't know much of anything about college basketball, uh, will oftentimes do better than you might expect. Yep. Yep. So uh, we'd love for you to participate in that. And uh, we will uh, offer a prize of a signed copy of one of my books, if you win. Asterisk, not not the dissertation, right? You're not going to send out a copy. Yeah, of the probably not the dissertation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Good, good point of clarification. Yeah, Let me make sure. sure the rules are clear. <laughs> okay. Yes. Um, so yeah, it'd be great for you to to join in with that. We had what 32 you said last year. Yeah, 30, 32, I believe. So we would love to see even more this year. Yeah, the more the merrier. Someone has to unseat John Sloat as the uh, as the reigning champion. I think it's the first time I've ever won any bracket <laughs> challenge. So yeah, I've only won one in my entire life mm-hmm. when I was a PhD student at Wheaton. Yeah, and Doug Moo is still a little salty about that, by the way, because <laughs> it came down to him and us at, on on the and for the cha- in the championship game. If one team won, I would win the win the challenge. If the other team won, he would have won it. And I came out victorious. Okay, so. did that make things awkward at your next? Uh discussion no no he's he, he doesn't hold grudges so that's good okay that's good okay uh one other sports note is uh grace college won the crossroads league tournament championship last week that's right and did so in historic fashion they became the first team in the crossroads league tournament history to win three road games to win the tournament yeah and beating number one and number two I believe, right? Yes. Yes. They beat so they were the five seed. So they beat the four seed in the first round, then they beat the number one seed in the semis, and then they beat the number two seed. All those games on the road. It just shows how competitive the Crossroads League basketball is. If you're a listener and you uh, only are familiar with, you know, Division One college basketball, which is great, uh, the NAIA is sneaky good in terms of small college basketball Mm -hmm. and at least comparable to Division Three and sometimes Division Two in the NCAA. And uh, there's some really good basketball that's played at that level. So yeah. Fun to watch. Fun to watch. All right. Anything else on sports, John? You kind of mentioned the baseball thing. We're losing games. How optimistic are you that this is actually going to be solved soon? And maybe by the time uh, this releases, there's some breakthrough. Maybe. This is pointless. But I mean, I, I don't think we lose the whole season. No, there's too much money on the there's line. There's too much money to be made. Uh, and I don't think the players can hold out that long. I certainly don't think the owners can hold out that long. Well, and I think also 
cooler heads will prevail and remember what happened in 94 mm-hmm. when they lost the last – what? they The season just stopped, what, in like September? Something like that, yeah. They and, missed the World Series. Yeah, and baseball – in some ways you could argue they've never – fully recovered. No. You had the the burst of the steroid era where you had Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire just hitting ridiculous numbers of home runs and that drew yeah. fans back to some degree. But I don't know that baseball's ever really recovered from I that. I don't think so. No. So we shall see. All right. So uh, on to our main topic today. What are we talking about, John? So we are talking about the affections uh, which might seem like a funny word, but don't worry, we'll define it in a second. And sort of the the beginning of this was uh, me and another colleague at the seminary have been basically organizing uh, these spiritual reflection times for our campus. So, so opportunities for uh, somebody to lead a guided reflection through some uh, different topics and uh, – and provide provide some food for thought as well as mm-hmm. uh, good good reflection. And you led one of these for us on uh, the affections. Um, and I was wondering, uh, so could you define that for us? Like, what what are affections? That's such a strange word uh, yeah. to use. But what what are they? Well, I, actually, I think I'll take a step back. I, I will answer that, but I will take okay. a step back and just um, this. Uh, this series of kind of wellness uh, events, spiritual wellness events that we've put on for our, uh, for our faculty and staff here uh, is really rooted in what uh, Jesus says in Matthew 22 when asked what's the greatest commandment. Uh, he answers, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So that has kind of formed the the context for these mm-hmm. different uh, spiritual wellness events slash seminars that we've been doing on campus. So we've had someone talk about what does it mean to, to love God with your mind and what does it mean to uh, love, God, love God with your strength. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I jumped in and did love God with your heart as a sort of entry point into talking about the affections. And so uh, I think it's good to start with uh, – when you look at that commandment, first of all, Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy 6, the Shema, sure, sure. kind of the central confession of faith of the Jewish people in the first century. And um, sometimes it, it, there is a value to um, to kind of breaking out those different pieces. But ultimately, the idea is Jesus is telling us that God's greatest commandment to us is to love God with our whole being, yeah. all that we are, all the different components of who we are, whether it's um, how we think, how we feel, what we believe, what we do, all those sorts of things mm-hmm. are to be oriented towards loving God and loving others. So there's not a compartmentalized nature to Christianity. Right. It, it, it's sort of our whole being is in it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, and so – the angle I, I took was to talk about the affections, and as you mentioned in your uh, in your opening comments, the um, that when we hear that we think, oh, the term affection. Like we hear affection and we think, oh, I have these kind of warm fuzzy feelings mm-hmm. towards a person. Like I like them, you know, whether that's romantically or even just as a friend. Like there's a a, a fondness or a warmth towards a person that you might call affection, but. How we're using it here, 
actually goes back further to um, some of the Puritans, and in particular, uh, Jonathan Edwards is kind of the the person who first introduced me to this idea of the affections. And ultimately, you know, we we can kind of hit on his own attempt to define it, and it's going to have your classic Puritan King James King James language here, but. Uh, he says, the affections are no other than the more vigorous and sensible exercises of the inclination and the will of the soul. So, yeah, that's good Puritan speak. Yeah, it absolutely is. Yeah. Um, and so, you know. And I'm sure that's just part of a sentence as well that he yeah, goes on yeah, with like of seven more conjunctions and, and other things. Right. <laughs> the reality is that when, when Edwards is talking about the affections, he is talking about uh, a, sort of a combination of our – what we think of as our emotions, our desires, our inclinations, uh, what we what we long for, those kinds of things. And so the idea here is um, how do we love God with that aspect of our lives? And again, reminding us that, of course, it's completely interconnected with our mind and other aspects of our uh, of our. Uh, non-material existence. So um, just trying to think about what does it look like to love God with our affections, our desires, our longings? So let let me ask this question. Um, Are the affections, the desires, the longings, the emotions, you know, know, if we can put that all in a a Mm -hmm. bundle, uh, are those controllable things? Um, are, are, is there, a, is there uh, any sense that we control those things? Are those things that we just have that can't be controlled? I, I think there's a both and there. In okay. other words, there, there are certainly um, spontaneous uh, inclinations and longings and desires that um, seem to come upon us unwanted even. Mm-hmm. So that, that that certainly exists. But I think our longings and our desires and our inclinations can be uh, also cultivated and mm. transformed and changed uh, by the work of the gospel, by the work of the spirit changing that. And I think ultimately that's really what uh, – at least part of what Ezekiel 36 promised when God promised a new covenant, that he would uh, take out our – heart of stone, replace it with the heart of flesh. He would put his spirit in us and cause us to walk in his ways, to want to walk in his ways, to to actually want to obey him. And so I think that's part of the beauty of the new covenant is the spirit dwells inside of us to change hmm. our inclinations and our affections. So so what I'm hearing you say is it's something that takes t- t- can take a long time. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Certainly the spirit can do some supernatural work and, and have it change immediately. But yeah. generally speaking, for the majority of people, this is something that's going to take cultivation, something that takes a long time to change. Absolutely. And I think um, it's something that may uh, – inclinations and affections can be can be changed and, and developed – but that doesn't automatically mean that old inclinations and affections mm-hmm. are completely gone. Yeah, I mean, I think we've all heard uh, people give testimonies of maybe you know, like the, the 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 alcoholic who has a radical conversion and says, "I've never had a, a, a desire for an, a, another drop of alcohol since I committed my life to Christ, since yeah. God changed me," and that can happen. But I think far more often is that a person, if we want to use that example, 
may come to faith in Christ and still have to fight against sure. the ongoing affection or inclination towards uh, wanting to take a drink, wanting to get drunk. And and so I think that's important to, to, to clarify up front because mm-hmm. um, that can be frustrating, I think, for us when we see there's these ongoing inclinations and longings that we have that are, that are oriented towards sinful things. Yeah. That we have to fight against for the entirety of our lives, that they don't just go away. Mm-hmm. And so I think we need to be careful about giving a a misperception of the Christian life that, oh, well, you know, eventually, you know, all of your sinful desires will just basically kind of fade away. No, <laughs> no. Um, that's, why the, that's why the New Testament in particular talks about um, how the Christian life is a fight. It's a battle. Mm-hmm. It's a struggle against your own sinful desires against the temptations of this world. So uh, it's, I think it's helpful to clarify that even as we talk about eventually here, how do our affections change? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I do think that is a slight corrective, although I think it's becoming less and less of a message uh, out there in mm-hmm. society that, you know, we need to follow our heart. We need to, you know, trust our emotions and all these things. And, yeah. You know, these are things we can't help. These are things that, yes. that don't need to be say, said no to. You know, right. the, these are things to indulge. And yeah. I think I think Jonathan Edwards has a nuanced message about uh, the affections as well as well as Scripture has a yeah. nuanced message and about I think, the affections. Um, you know, uh, one of the passages that I uh, return to frequently is uh, Psalm 86, verses 11 and 12. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart, Hmm. and I will glorify your name forever. And I think what that helps us see is that our heart has all these sort of varying inclinations and desires that pull us in in multiple directions. And what the psalmist is praying is get all those things in check and reorient them and direct them to one end, hmm. to worshiping you, to walking with you, to being faithful to you. And so what that I think gives us a window to is even though the term affections is a later term in church history, it is it is tapping into a biblical reality um, that, uh, that that's clear in the Psalms. And I think too, uh, you know, we've all probably heard at some point you know, the sort of the pop psychology, no one has the right to tell you how to feel. Mm-hmm. Well, God does. Yeah, yeah. And he does it regularly. Yeah. You know, he tells you to weep over something. He tells you to rejoice over something. Like th- th- those are directed towards our affections, what we should long for, what we should approve of, what we should desire. So I think it's helpful to see what scripture says on those kinds of things. Any other texts you want to go to, to to talk about affections? Anything else that uh... – that comes to mind? Yeah. I mean, you see it come up in like uh, Psalm 42, verses 1 through 2. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? So I, I think, you know, a passage like that uh, helps us see where our affections should be oriented. And then there's also passages that orient our affections away from dangerous things like yeah. Proverbs 24, 1 and 2. Be not envious of evil men, nor desire to be with them, for their hearts desire violence and their lips talk of trouble. So 
you know, Scripture does both. It says, don't long for and desire these things. Instead, desire and long for these other realities. Yeah. And and one of the one of the tricky things that comes with this is oftentimes our our affections, our inclinations, at their root, they are good God-given desires mm-hmm. that seek fulfillment or outlet in the wrong places. Yeah. And so um, this is where Jonathan Edwards likes to use the analogy of of fire. Mm-hmm. That um, fire is a good thing if it's kept in its proper place in the home. If it's sure. in the stove, if it's in the fireplace, it provides light. You can heat with it. You can cook with it. Like it's a good thing. But the second it gets out of its proper space and then just is running free in the house, it's going to burn the place down. It causes destruction. Yeah. Well, I, I think I'm, and I think that's still an analogy that works really well today because we, we still use fire, right? Mm-hmm. I think gas is similar today, uh, right? Uh, where in its proper place, coming out of my stove, creating a small flame, really, really handy. Yeah. Uh, but we also, uh, this past summer, had a gas explosion about a mile away from our house. Yes, I remember that. That shook <laughs> my house. <laughs> yes. Uh, and uh, and caused devastation, like blew out windows and yeah. uh, uh, burned a, burned a whole building to the ground. I, b- I believe even killed someone. Yeah. Uh, so I think gas. You know, mm-hmm. we we anybody any time uh, you hear it go. <laughs> yeah. Do I smell gas? <laughs> you know, every everybody sort of loses it because yeah. everybody knows this is destructive yeah. if it's not in the right place. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so. How do, how do we grow in these affections? What do mm-hmm. we do with these affections? Yeah. Uh, and how do we uh, deal with poor affections? Like, like how do we reorient affections? Yeah, I, th- I think for me, one of the most helpful things in my spiritual life was uh, understanding this, this idea here that we're about to talk about. Uh, because I think a lot of our approach to um, – to spiritual growth tends to focus on identifying, you know, sinful desires, sinful activities and saying, stop doing that. Yeah. You got to stop that. Mm -hmm. That's dangerous. That's destructive. That's offensive to God. It hurts other people. It hurts you. Like, and don't misunderstand me. Those are good things to say. Those are true and helpful things to say. But oftentimes I think if we just in our spiritual lives focus on, I gotta, try, I gotta stop doing that because it's bad. That that's only one limited part of pursuing spiritual growth. Uh, and it's uh, here, here's where an analogy is helpful, uh, and we'll I'll talk about where this analogy comes from in a moment. But um, imagine if you have this glass beaker, and so something you use in chemistry yep, class, or yeah, or something yeah. If like you think that. back yep. to your chemistry experiment days in high school. Um, What's the most effective way to get all the air out of a glass beaker? And so, you know, if you think about that for a minute, like, okay, it's, op- yeah. it's open-topped. Like, how, how do you get – how do you remove the air from it? I mean, it's the 21st century here, right? We put a, we put a vacuum seal on it. We can yeah. – you know, there, there, there's a lot of ways. Yeah. And it, that could be pretty labor-intensive and require, sure. you know. Some, some cash flow right. issues. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the simple answer is – you fill it with water or some other liquid because yeah. that displaces the air. Mm-hmm. And and the point of the analogy that's used by uh, this guy named Thomas Chalmers, which we'll uh, talk about uh, in a moment, 
um, is part of the process of changing our affections is not just saying stop longing after and desiring those bad mm-hmm. things. It's how do we create a or a cultivate a new longing, desire, affection that will be intense enough to overcome your light, your longing for this other sinful thing. Mm-hmm. And so um, that, that's where I think it's th- – that was one of those key pieces of my own spiritual growth, that it wasn't just um, I got to st- stop doing these things or start doing these things. It was I need to create – I need to ha- have God cultivate in me a desire that is – a desire for obedience that is so much stronger than the the sinful desire that it overcomes the weight of that sinful mm-hmm. desire. And I think we see that kind of hinted at in some ways in a passage like Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Mm-hmm. So he finds something so much more compelling, so much more beautiful than everything else he already owned, that he joyfully sells things that before he would have clung to, that he would have uh, held on to tightly. But because he finds something more beautiful, more mm. compelling, now he wants that instead. And he does it with joy, not reluctance, not compulsion, but out of joy of having a superior affection towards the kingdom. So I think that that's kind of the picture there. Um, what does Charles refer to that to? What, what, what's... So he, he's famous for a, a sermon that he wrote that's been turned into a little mini booklet you can buy. I think you can maybe even find it online as a PDF. I think I've got a link in the show notes here. It's, it's a sermon entitled The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. And this is what he's getting at is – what we need to have God do to change our affections is to give us a stronger longing and desire for him and for obedience to him than we have towards whatever sinful inclinations or longings we have. And so Chalmers is really helpful on that when it comes to thinking about how do we um, overcome what are oftentimes very strong affections and inclinations towards sinful things. So I think uh, Chalmers in his Puritan speak uh, is – even though he, well, he's after the Puritan period, but he's essentially a sure a Puritan wannabe. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a free uh, little booklet of it on modernism.com. Okay. Gotcha. You type uh, expulsive power. Yeah, and we'll, we'll throw these, the, the link for that in, yeah. uh, in the show notes there so people can track that down. But yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, Thomas Chalmers, um, really helpful on that and some of the material that, that – that's helped shape my thinking on these things. This is not anything unique to me. Um, how might – like say some of our listeners are like, OK, this is intriguing. This is interesting. How do I know what my affections are? Like, like how, do, mm-hmm. how do I more deeply understand them? What, what would you point people towards? What are some practices you'd give them? Sure. I mean at one level, I think um, – a helpful diagnostic question could be, um, what do I tend to daydream about? Yeah. You know, when you're not actively engaged in, you know, work or a task or something like that, and your mind just kind of tends to wander. Yeah. What do you start 
daydreaming about? What do you what do you what do you kind of fantasize about? Um, or even just a simple question of what do I want most in life, mm-hmm. or what do I want most want right now? Those, those kinds of questions. Um, what what do I think I need to be satisfied? Well, you know, even just thinking about sometimes if you ask the question or answer the question, if I only had blank, then my life would be really good right now. Oh yeah, and that could fill in in any number of different ways. Oh yeah, it could be could be financially related. It could be work related. It could be relationally related. Um, you know, there's any number of, but those can be indicators into what your affections are set towards. Mm-hmm. So I think those are helpful. At least I found that in my own, uh, in my own heart. Uh, as people want to read more, where do you point them? Yeah. So, um, outside of the expulsive power. Of right. Affection. We'll have the yeah. link for that. Um, the first place I want to point them to is, is scripture itself. I mean, I, I I regularly go back and reflect on just a handful of passages that God consistently uses to raise my delight in Christ, my mm. affections for Christ that, that show me how beautiful he is. Passages like Philippians 2, 5 through 11, mm-hmm. Colossians 1, 15 through 20, and then even Revelation 4 and 5, which is the throne room vision of, uh, of of God and the angelic beings and Christ being worshipped in that context as well. And also Revelation 21 and 22, the new, new heavens, heavens, new earth. New earth. Yeah. Because I, I, God uses those passages to reorient what is most valuable to me. Hmm. And I think there's a difference between uh, – and this gets more into the kind of the preaching and teaching and things – there's a difference between saying that Christ is beautiful and compelling and talking about him in a way that shows you actually believe it. Mm-hmm. And so I think there can be a tendency sometimes to not uh, – that, that even preachers and teachers who who believe Christ is beautiful can struggle to – instead of just saying Christ is beautiful, okay – Paint a picture for me. Sure. Tell me what's so great and amazing about him that's going to stir up that that fresh affection for Christ that makes me think, wow, he is amazing. Mm-hmm. I can't believe he is like that. He is un he, he is unlike anyone or anything else in the universe. And so he's worthy of my affections uh, that that need to be stirred afresh. And I, I would say honestly, that should be one of the tasks of the preacher every week regardless of what text you're preaching from, to look for ways to stir up fresh affections or rekindle waning affection for Christ yeah. so that people walk out of Sunday morning service with a renewed delight in Jesus, who he is, what he's done for us, um, how he's with us, etc. Yeah, I know that's uh, – having been in your mentor group as a seminary student, I know that's something you've regularly talked about and something mm-hmm. that I uh, – actively think about when preparing sermons, teachings, things like that. So, yeah, yeah. Found, that, found that to be very, very helpful. Yes. And outside of those passages, the other place I go uh, pretty consistently is a sermon that Jonathan Edwards preached called The Excellency of Christ. And there'll be a link in the show notes. It's free online. You know, you can find basically almost everything Edwards wrote now available online somewhere. But this sermon is actually based on a text in Revelation 5, and it plays off of this idea of – he has this interesting turn of phrase where he says something to the effect of like there is an, uh, 
a, a diverse set of excellencies in Christ or something along that that idea where he's playing off the Christ is both a lamb and a lion. And you think, how do those two things go together? With a lamb, you think of something that's meek and and innocent and weak perhaps. And then you think of a lion, something that's strong and fierce. Like, how do those two things come together? And so he, the whole sermon is basically him taking attributes of God and of Christ that would seem on their surface to be opposites and mm-hmm. s- show you how they both come together beautifully in Christ. Yeah. It's it's amazing. Hmm. So that's be a place I'd send. Uh, one other re- resource I'll mention here because the, the question might be, okay, so what happens when I – my affections just are flat or I just – I don't have any real strong desire towards God. Um, obviously, I'm going to point you to those places I already pointed you to. But uh, John Piper did write a book entitled When I Don't Desire God that I think is very helpful in kind of giving you some tracks oh, yeah. to run on hmm. when it comes to, OK, my my affections towards Christ are are low, are waning. How do I try to – put myself in a position to get out of that kind of funk, out of that lull. A number of John Piper's books as well are free PDFs on his Desiring God website. You can find a number of them. I don't know about that one specifically, but a number of them you can. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. Would not surprise me. All right. So the affections. Yes. That's it. We've conquered them. We we know about settled, them. yeah, <laughs> done. Okay, check that off the bucket list. Are we are we ready to move on to the stay in sports history? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so March eighth, uh, on March eighth, uh, nineteen thirty, baseball slugger Babe Ruth signs a two year contract for the huge amount of one hundred and sixty thousand dollars with the New York Yankees. Uh, GM Ed Barrow wrongly predicts no one will ever be paid more than Ruth. <laughs> I think even with inflation, guys are play, paid more than that, right? Yeah. 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 A, a lot more. Than that. <laughs> um, That's like even probably accounting for inflation, you probably have guys who make that in like a week. Yeah. Yeah. It's just ridiculous. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, 1971, Joe Frazier ends Muhammad Ali's 31-fight winning streak at Madison Square Garden, New York City, retaining uh, the heavyweight boxing title by unanimous point decision over 15 rounds. Fight of the century. Yeah. Can, can we just put a moratorium on that, that, that expression? Not necessarily fight of the century. But, but of, like, of the like century. Game of the century, yeah. match of the century. I mean, people know I'm a big college football fan. And, you know, we're what? Like it's 2022. So we're – you know, 22 years into into the century that we're in right now. Yeah. And I, I'm sure I could find 10 games minimum that have been touted as this is going to be the game of the century. Or, this is the game of the century. We just need to. Or that was the play of the century. Yeah, that yeah. was the cat. Yeah. yeah. Um, Pump the brakes, people. Yeah. We got to wait till the end of the century to really start <laughs> having some of, some of those and conversations. And neither of us will be around for that. No. If we're still doing the podcast, <laughs> medicine has come a long, long way. Yes, it has. Um, uh, 1986. Uh, oh boy, that's a name. Uh, Martina Navratilova. You don't know Martina Navratilova? No, I don't think so. Uh, is the first tennis player to earn 10 million? Yes. That was Navratilova. You've not you've not heard that name? No, that's not, two, not, two not, years before I was born. Yeah, I, but I mean tennis. Like if you, yeah, you just must must not be. I'm not a huge tennis fan. Okay. I do I do remember watching Andre Agassi and Pete, Pete Sampras back in the day, but yes. I think that was probably the last time I paid attention to tennis. Yeah. Okay. Uh, 2019, U.S. national women's soccer team sues 
for equal pay by filing a federal gender discrimination lawsuit against the United States Soccer Federation. Uh, and I believe they just settled. I believe that's correct. I don't know the details of the settlement, but I I, I have heard that they, it was settled. It's in the millions, but yeah. what isn't? You know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So yeah, what what do you what do you like here? Um, I I might lean towards Joe Frazier knocking out uh, or beating Muhammad Ali. That feels like a big deal. Yeah, I mean it's the fight of the century. Fight of the century. I think we got to go with that, don't we? Uh, you good with that? I'm good with that. Yeah. Okay. One thing you liked. All right. So this week I am making it up on the fly right now. <laughs> Do you want me to go first? Why don't you go first? <laughs> okay. All right. So uh, this episode drops March 8th. So uh, the previous week, as you're listening to this, uh, I went down to Indy and watched the uh, the Grace – men's basketball team win at Marion University, the Crossroads League Championship, which we talked about earlier. So uh, my younger son, who is a third-year student here, rode down with me, and we met up with my oldest son, who works in the Indianapolis area. So it was fun to, to go there and, and watch that. Um, Grace had not won the Crossroads League tournament in like 10 years. So It's been that long? It has been that long. Wow. In fact, the last time they won the conference tournament, my oldest son was a water boy for that team. Yeah. I remember when John was the water boy. Yeah. yeah. Um, my one thing uh, – so I've mentioned this before long time ago, uh, but I just finished it. Uh, there's mm-hmm. a podcast called The History of Rome. It's a behemoth of a podcast. I mean the guy does 30-minute episodes for like six years walking through the history of Rome. I just finished it. Really, really good. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I had remembered you mentioned that, and I'd asked you about it. So I've got it in the queue that I'm going to start. I think I'm, I've got an audio book that I'm working through right now that uh, I'm going to finish that first, and okay. then I'll probably start in on the on the Roman uh, Empire podcast there. Yeah. So, all right, we've talked uh, spring break trips. We've talked. Uh, Grace College men's basketball team winning the Crossroads League tournament. Mm -hmm. We have talked the affections, including Jonathan Edwards and Thomas Chalmers, the expulsive power of a new affection. We've talked Joe Frazier ending Muhammad Ali's 31-fight winning streak, and we've discovered that John has never heard of Martina Navratilova. Yep. I think, by definition, we have covered our various and sundry topics. So are you ready to call Mission Accomplished? I think I am. Okay. All that's left to say then is until next time, the Lord bless y'all real good. Later. Later.